a game I played, I ran recently. Uh, it was a small town that had skeletons in it, and there was a skeleton that just kept. Um, it was at a well and just kept pulling up, you know, water from this well. And one of the players was like, "Is is he trying to drink it?" And it's just like fall, like it's going into his mouth <laughs> and just falling down, and then all the, back into the well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like he said that is it. Like is now there's just this green patch all around him, and he's sort of grown into Ooh. the ground. And I was like, "Yes," and he can't move. And they're like, "Yes," exactly. I'm like that's excellent. It was really cool. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Stuart Watkinson over at Stuart Writes on Twitter. Today we talk about micro RPGs, sharing power between the narrator and the players, dealing with Reddit, and using up those extra sauce packets that happen to hang around after eating fast food. If you want to hear a bonus conversation with Stuart after the main episode's done, or you just want to support the podcast in general and help fund future endeavors, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus mini episodes every week, as well as access to the entire back catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. And as I said in the intro, I am joined today at the Dungeons and Dinners table by my guest, Stuart Watkinson at Stuart Writes on Twitter. Stuart, thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, you've got a wealth of uh, hobbies and uh, titles under your belt as far as things that you are engaged in. So uh, for the uninitiated, do you mind kind of giving us an introduction to yourself and what you do in the TTRPG space? Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm a podcaster and writer. Um, So I host Committee Quest, which is an actual play uh, 5th edition podcast, which is on an extended hiatus at the moment because two of the cast members have had babies this year so we are there's no time for that unfortunately and um also the dungeons and dragons lore cast uh which is basically like you know a a history lesson in a fantasy world um and then i've done some writing so i I wrote an adventure for the dm's guild called caught at the cross keys um and then a collection of sort of smaller games on itch so i've got wretched wasteland which is a wretched and alone game a solo rpg game um and a like a kind of like a solo game it's like a backstory builder for um for dwarves uh called the dwarves of renadar so it's sort of something you can give to your players and sort of slot into your own game and it helps them have a connection to their their character um, and then this week I've just released two games. Uh, one is a little micro RPG called Skullduggery, where you play crims doing crime. Um, it's just like a, a bookmark game. Um, and then also What's So Rotten About Zombies Defending an Ancient Temple, which is a large title. But um, that's essentially uh, came about because of my players were going to raid a temple again. And I was like, you know what? What if you're like, you're probably going to win. Why don't we just do a bit of a role reversal and you play the zombies defending the ancient temple? So that's a bit of a fun, uh, very rules light RPG as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a wealth of things. Mm. So I want to get into a few of these. 
Um, but first, I would like to hear just kind of your we, we you've obviously written a lot of uh, both adventures and kind of like you said, these micro RPGs or rules light uh, tabletop RPGs. Um, what brought you into the tabletop scene in the beginning? Were you, uh, you know, brought in at an early age? Did you start with a, like a D and D, or did you start with something you know later in life or a little more off the cuff? Uh, well, my my bro- I've got an older brother who's about twelve years older than me, so he 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 was big into D and D in the eighties and nineties. So when I was a kid, D and D was around my house, and I sort of had a vague notion of what it was, knew the miniatures, used to steal his miniatures when I was a kid. Um, and then when I, those aren't toys. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He he wasn't, he wasn't a fan of me stealing (laughs) anyway. Um, and then when I was about 17, like my final year in high school, uh, my friend's older brother went to uni and started playing vampire, the masquerade. And so on weekends we would play vampire and it was awesome. It was set in, um, he sort of set it in our local neighborhood and would, pick houses and places and streets uh that we all knew you know so that was cool so all the all the creepy houses sort of became dens for, for vampires which was awesome and then uh, so that went on for a few years and then i just sort of fell out of rpgs and then about six years ago um i started playing dnd again i was at, I'm, I'm a high school teacher in my in my normal job uh and i was going to i was looking for ways to bring gaming into the classroom and fifth edition had sort of just come out and I was like, oh yeah, okay. And so I bought some of the rules books and started playing and then slowly, but surely it uh, took over my life and now it's all sorts of RPGs. So, and you, you brought up a, a point there that I, that I'd also, you'd kind of mentioned in your, your part of your bio is that uh, you do bring TTRPGs to the classroom that you, uh, you run a D and D club uh-huh. and use uh, Dungeons and Dragons in teaching. Yeah. So I, I would assume the D and D club is probably, you know, a mix of uh, playing and helping people create and helping people understand. But what do you do in terms of bringing D and D into the classroom? How does that mix? Right. Oh, so I do that in. Uh, I've had some various experiences with that. So for for, for starters, when we're doing like uh, genre writing, uh, I use some pa- tables from. Uh, a book by uh, Megan Hale called um, Table Fables, and it's like character generation stuff. So I just bring in dice and all the kids roll and they create a character and they use that for their story. Um, And then I also have, uh, I often teach um, low literacy classes. So kids that struggle with uh, English and have maybe lost interest in uh, or disengaged with school a bit. Um, and I have run D&D for a whole term, uh, so made D&D the focus in that English lesson. And so we did a lot of language stuff to start with because there's some dense language stuff in there. Uh, and then in the double lessons for five weeks, uh, myself and a friend ran games for two tables uh, with these kids. And they so they made characters. They, part of their writing was they had to write a bit of a backstory and then they had to write a description. Um, and then there, one of their assessments was j- like a journal. So at the end of each session, they spent some time writing a journal about what their character had done from the point of view of their character. 
And then we did persuasive writing. They got to a, a section where they had to persuade someone. And so everybody wrote a persuasive piece from the point of view of their character and whoever's, uh, you know, fitted the best or was the best sort of was what was used in the game as well. Um, which was like really, a really great success. So the guy that I got in, uh, to, to run the other game was from the, uh, local youth theater, theater group. Um, and he was amazing. Like he, he was like amazed at like, I was amazed at his responses about some of these kids. So some of these kids have, have never had like, you know, in trouble a lot. They, they haven't had any success in English. And he's like, oh yeah, that kid, such and such. He was amazing. He was so keen and interested and engaged. I'm like, no one has said that about that student for, for many years, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was really cool. Um, and you know, I had these, you know, big, loud, boisterous kids yelling out across the yard, Hey, Mr. Watkinson, when are we playing D and D? You know? So that was, um, it was cool. It was really cool. It was, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you got to work. You rope in the local theater, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like because who's they're never, never going to be good at D&D. &D. No, not the not the theater person. Yeah. Uh -uh. yeah. <laughs> not going to have any energy at the table at all. Yeah. That was um. so that is a uh, Chris Bond. He's from the uh, Roll to Cast podcast um, as well. If you're interested, he's a good guy. They do. They do like a different RPG every season. It's a role playing RPG as well. That's nice. I, I also think that there's a lot of places where I've started now that D and D is starting to it's it's broken away most of the shackles from like the satanic panic mm. and is just kind of more culturally acceptable now. Yeah, that it's starting to see use in things like therapy in classroom mm. engagements. I love the idea of pulling random tables out for yeah. for story generation. That's that's glorious. Yeah. I mean, it's it's things that a lot of the number of novels that have been written based on you know role playing adventures is huge because of the kind of the chaotic nature and the unbelievable moments and things like that. But I think that expanding upon that to then find ways to incorporate it for those kids that need a little bit more of a boost, right? Something mm. that is going to engage them, that is going to pique their interest and make them not just make them do a thing because that's not what we want, right? But to engage them so that they want to do something. They want yeah. to write a backstory. They want to be the person whose persuasive piece is used to convince the vampire to let go of the hostages or whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so leveraging that one I mean, that's huge that you've been given the opportunity and the freedom to, to do that, because I know there's still a lot of places that struggle with additional teaching methods that may be a little more off the cuff. But to the fact that you are able to have such success in that is, in my opinion, a, a really great achievement. So I want to commend you on that. Cheers. Yeah, it was good. And I am very lucky. You know, I'm in a I live in a, a very small town. Well, not very small, but a small town in, in, in rural South Australia. And basically, you know, when it comes to getting young people to read and write, um, anything we can do to engage them and get them reading and writing is, is, you know, it's sort of okay, you know, so, so obviously, that was discussed with my leaders first, what I was going to do. And they were like, it's the last term, they've done all the things they have to do, you know, go for it. So that was, that was really good. And I got to play D&D. &D yeah, school, that's so. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's also a pretty big win there, too. You know, anytime that anytime you can bring your hobbies into your work, then <laughs> as long as you're enjoying them, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that uh, my my job doesn't try to bring podcaster into uh, into my work too terribly much. If I had to do a, a work based podcast, I may not find it so enjoyable yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um. So you've got uh a number of these little micro RPGs hmm. and I would like to know. So, so you're, you're launching them on itch, which I think is awesome. I think that a lot of uh, people that I know anyway, really see itch as kind of like a video game platform. Hmm. And that's kind of couldn't be further from the truth. You can find all sorts of content on itch from mm-hmm. just books and stories to games, to all, all sorts of community fed kind of play testable content is on itch. And I think it's a really great place to, to host content, but what goes into kind of a micro RPG? Is it it, like, how do you go about designing them to building them and, and releasing them? Yeah, right. Uh, A a lot. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) they're they're probably, I I really like, um, I really like making little games like that because of the freedom that comes from the writing. So I've, I've worked on a couple of other larger products for the DMs guild. Um, and, and my own, I've, I've got another adventure coming soon for the DMs guild. And I find that there's a lot of rules in how you need to write things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a way in which it needs to be laid out and I find it really laborious, um, and not creative. Now, so now that's me. There are, there are other writers on DMs Guild and, and uh, who do amazingly creative stuff in there. I find it difficult. Um, so what I really liked about micro or like little RPGs and making my own things is that I have freedom with what I can write. So so th- there is also a lot more that comes into it because, you know, I, I do the layout for those and I find the artwork for those. And, and I'm not, you'll notice most of them are black and white and that's because I'm really severely colorblind. And so when I when it comes to doing like, colored art stuff it it looks awful so i know i'm safe with on grayscale um uh so yeah so from idea is all of them sort of come from my idea and i really only started doing them last year so uh wretched alone is a is a an srd that uh comes from a game called the wretched by chris Bissett, and uh it was like middle of lockdown and i was like sure this is cool and you know they released this um SRD saying you can make any other version you like of this, you know. So um, that was, and I love uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. So I jumped into that and made that, and it was I probably did that in about two weeks, and really enjoyed it. And then started just tinkering with some other little bits and pieces that I had ideas for. So like, Dwarves of Renadar was about uh, creating something that players could use to engage with like the world that I created, you know, like as DMs and, and, and GMs, we create these big worlds and we have all this information and lore and then you're the only one that has it and you have to find ways to sort of push it onto players and you have to find ways for them to get engaged with it. And I like the idea that if, say, if you're playing in, in my world, it would be like, well, you're a dwarf? Cool. Well, this is where the dwarves come from and here's a little... Uh, tool you can use to build your backstory and give you a connection to their culture and, and what, what it's like being a dwarf from Renda. Um, and then Zombies was really just, I just wanted to 
play around with some design stuff. I did add one color to that one that's got some green in it. Um, and I really just love rolling on tables. So that the whole start of that game is is building a uh, creating a god and um, building the temple and you know some of the weird stuff that's happened to you because you're a zombie. So you know you might just be you might just be a head, or you might be a head that's grafted onto somebody else's body, or you might have a uh, a snail like foot, or you might be a you know. Yeah, there's all sorts of things you can roll on that one. Um, and they're, yeah, they're just fun. You know, they're, they're fun. The idea for most of those is that you can pick them up and play them in a couple of hours um, and tell a story and have a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah. It's it's a lot more so, work, though, I find. Well, I mean, that does sound... So does, the, uh, does your zombie game also use kind of an SRD or are you building rules from scratch on that one as well? Yeah, so that one does use an SRD. That uses um, uh, what's so cool about space. Uh, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's super simple, which is you have these things rolled 2d6s, you got to beat an 8 and you add and minus things depending on what you have. So it just makes it very simple to, to run. Um, uh, Skullduggery is kind of a, a mixture of what's so cool about and uh, I don't know really something else. It's, it's a bit of a mixture. That's got it. Yeah, that's that's very, super simple. That's also just d sixes. I also like making stuff with d sixes because people. Have I I found yeah I'm leaning in that direction. I've been kind of dabbling in a, a little homebrew system just for some friends and I to play around with that involves more kind of passing the DM or everybody being a DM sort of situation, like really heavily narrative focus, really chaotic, but really fast. Yeah. And I found that the fastest way to get gameplay going is just a few D six because everybody knows them. They're quick to read. Mm. They don't roll around They're They're just easily accessible. There's always a few dozen D six and any houses near me. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I haven't really dabbled in making my own systems yet because there's so many really good ones already. Um, and, right. and I'm, I'm, I think I'm more of a writer than a designer. So I, I, you know, I have I, ideas to, to, you know, to graph things over other systems as opposed to, coming up with, you know, reinventing the wheel with other systems. I'm currently re reading a lot of SRDs um, for the next game I want to make, um, uh, which is going to be a, a post-apocalyptic game. Um, yeah, so reading a lot. And there's just so many good games out there, you know? Oh, yeah. There's just so yeah, much. I, actually, the post-apocalyptic niche is where I'm currently. I've, I've read a number of, of SRDs on that, as well as SRDs for any sort of pass the DM type stuff or everybody mm. gets a narrative turn of some sort, like exchanging power or any sort of ways to like a fate system or capes mm. or, or everyone is John anywhere where you can influence the DM can say something is true and a player can then say, no, it's not. Yeah. But then have some kind of resource to bet or trade in that environment. I think that those ideas are really fun and encourage a lot more, especially in a post apocalyptic scenario where yeah. everything is so chaotic and random. I think those things kind of, kind of go together well. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I like the idea of, of taking, not taking the power away from, from GMs, but, but I, I find it, you know, in D and D the DM rolls the dice so much and it's, and I don't think they need to, 
you know, like I really like, right. we've been playing uh, uh, Merkborg quite a bit and the DM really doesn't, well, the GM doesn't really roll at all. Like even in combat, it's it's the the players are rolling defense and attack. Um, and I, you know, I, I like that idea, you know, because really I see my role as a facilitator of fun as opposed to someone that sits behind the table and has a great time rolling on tables while everyone waits for me there. I'd much rather hand that over. <laughs> well, and even some of the design work, I, I've talked to um, some people recently that, that even offer um, designs out to the players for doing things like mm. naming NPCs mm. or, you know, it's, you know, kind of round robin things. It's your turn to, we're at a new tavern. You describe the tavern to me. Yeah. And, and just offering those. Cause I think that it's, as a, I've been, you know, being on both sides of the table, being a player, it, you can have the same kind of backstory and lore for just your character that may never see the light of day. Yeah. Because it's, you, you know, maybe you never find a way to get that out there or it's, you know, the characters that you're with don't, you know, mesh with your backstory very well or you never have your grand adventure that solves it. So instead of that, and as like you said, as a GM, it can be hard to encourage your description of the world and the things that you found really fun a lot of times can become just sheet rips mm. where they're just you know they're destroyed the players turned left and everything you had was to the right so mm -hmm. or they killed that npc or whatever mm -hmm. and so i think giving some of that sharing some of that experience one puts players they get some of those pressure moments where you know, yeah, you're you're the one that names him now. Come up, you get to pick a name. You get to be on the spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. It's it's it's. I I really like that, and, and I love, and I actually love when, you know, when your players are, are feeding ideas. Uh, a game I played, I ran recently. Uh, it was a small town that had skeletons in it, and there was a skeleton that just kept. Um, it was at a well and just kept pulling up, you know, water from this well, and one of the players was like, "Is." is he trying to drink it and it's just like fall like it's going into his mouth <laughs> and just falling down and then all the, back into the well <laughs> yeah oh like he said that is it like is now there's just this green patch all around him and he's sort of grown into Ooh. the ground and i was like yes and he can't move and they're like yes exactly. i'm like that's excellent that's really cool yeah yeah i think the giving and it, it's great when players offer that but i think kind of encouraging them yeah can it can also help because it it even in a sense where a player may not want to role play their character much, but especially early players, giving them little pieces of what being a DM could feel like or be like could help excite them for doing that type of thing later. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love offering that opportunity to everyone. Everybody gets to, it's a cooperative storytelling experience. It should be cooperative. Mm. Yeah, yeah, hundred, and I, that I do that a lot with the D and D club because I want the younger kids to to start realizing that it's not just about the, the DM running everything. You know, like it's not just it's not just me. I'm not magic. Like what what right. I it's just my words that are creating an image in your head, and it's your head that's coming up with what that looks like. Um, so yeah, I, I do that a lot with the with the D and D club as well. Also keep the wee ones from thinking that if they DM something, they get to go be God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. need them power tripping. <laughs> that causes arguments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
So you've also got uh, your podcast, uh, the Committee Quest actual play. It is on hiatus right now, but do you want to talk about that or your lore cast any at all? Yeah, a couple sure, of different yeah. podcasts there. Yeah, um, Committee Quest is uh, just me and my friends. Um, we are playing a bit of a, a silly game set in my world where they are currently in our version of um, the Feywild, which is like... Uh, with the way that we sort of came up with this was that in the Feywild they have access to lots of magic and they can see all sorts of stuff and they really got hooked on 80s and 80s television and film so there's lots of like neon lights and lots of um, replicas of stuff you would have found in the 80s like skateboards and and um, yeah pretty much any sort of 80s style science fiction or horror or fantasy is recreated in that Feywild. Um, so that's just a bit of fun. Uh, it was like my first thing that I made. And so it's, it's level of quality goes up and down over the, uh, over the two seasons as, um, my skill goes up and our recordings fail sometimes and things like that. So, um, but it, it's, it was fun and it's funny and you might laugh if you listen to that. And then, uh, D&D Lorecast is from uh, with Re Robots Radio Network, and we just talk about D&D. Uh, we, we started looking at the Faerun law, and then um, now we're looking, we've just started with Eberron law and doing like history of Eberron and stuff like that. And then every episode, uh, my co-host Tom comes up with a magic item. Um, he is a particularly creative guy, so there are some very cool magic items he's currently doing a thing on summoning rings um so summoning all sorts of stuff giant puppy huge cat um giant i think he did a giant rat uh summoning yourself from another timeline um and it's to help aid in combat but like if one of them die, then those timelines emerged, you know, just super crazy creative stuff that he is into. So yeah, that, uh, that sounds particularly dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Most of them are pretty, <laughs> Tom's comes up with the ideas and then he's like, you figure out the rules. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. oh, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to expouse a bit of lore than it is <laughs> yeah. to make this no. something that, that Reddit won't scream over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put it in Reddit. Reddit would lose their mind, yeah. <laughs> That's one thing that I've learned is there's it's one thing to appease yourself. It's another thing to kind of appease your local community or Twitter. But the moment that you approach Reddit with anything, there's hisses and snarls. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm currently getting a lot of vitriol at the moment um, about the Trove, which is like a, it's down now, but it's a, a pirating thing for RPGs. Um, and I was like, man, so one of my games is on there. And I was like, man, who's pirating my game? It's like, anyway, it's <laughs> like, and so I was like, it's it's crap that it's on there. Like, what you know, like I, you know, I can sort right. of understand why people are, are pirating massive corporations. Um, but I'm like, you know, even even then that's crap. I'm like, and then, yeah, I've just been getting pretty much the same response for the last month and a half. Like, 
you're a nobody and you're lucky that it's on there. People would find it at least. I'm like, yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't do me any good if they find it. Yeah, that's cool. I I haven't actually responded to any. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I get it, I get it. But yeah, Reddit can be a... It can be a hard, it can, you know, it, it can be great if things, yeah. if you go viral on Reddit, then you things kind good. of win. Yeah, you win the internet for the day or the week. Yeah. But if you, if you misformat a spell's description, <laughs> you can be <laughs> sent to the burning fire. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've had, I've had, I put one of my blog posts up once and it was a, uh, uh, I, I run a, a West Marcher style campaign at the moment, um, and so I do a bit of blogging about that. And that got that did quite well on one of the things. Which, so that that was cool. I was like, "Hey, cool! This is how Reddit works. If things are good, um, it's not always getting attacked. Well, not maybe not attacked, but well, yeah, attacked. Sure, yeah, attacked. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be uh, Dungeons and Dinners if we don't also tag along a little into the the fine dining side of life. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are uh, not quite so disfamiliar with the cooking realm. You've spent mm-hmm. a number of years uh, as a chef in various ways. So mm-hmm. you want to expand on that a little bit and tell us uh, tell us where you came from there. Yeah, sure. I, um, as a teenager, got a job uh, working in a kitchen. Um so I, I had been working at like KFC and getting paid no money and uh, went to a party after work, met someone. They're like, yeah, come and wash dishes at this restaurant. So I went and worked at this restaurant, seaside restaurant. Um, and I basically worked there for 10 years. Um, so I washed dishes for a few years and then started um, helping with functions. And then by the end of my time there, I was, I wasn't a, a line chef or anything. I was a cook that worked on functions. So helped with uh, food prep and, um, you know, getting food out during uh, functions as well. Um, and then also over the years working at other various restaurants as, as, a, as a cook. Um, yeah, so yeah, for this was like 10 years. So probably from the age of 15 to about 21, I was almost doing that work full time and then started studying um and went when i went back to do teaching when i was 30 i went and worked in a kitchen again and was working as a, a chef for another six months which was awful and it was like just the worst it was the the worst ex- like it was the best worst experience so you know like i'm studying to it to really change. is feast or famine yeah 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 and it was like it was reaffirming i'm like hey cool i'm studying to get this new career and i'm back in a kitchen and it's awful and i'm so happy that when this finishes i don't have to work in a kitchen again um yeah i mean i really respect the time that i cooked mm. i learned a lot that i never mm. would have known any other oh, yeah. way but i even if all things fall apart and i have to scramble for a job it i will try to find just about anything <laughs> besides yeah. being a short order cook yeah it's it's really interesting like i i really loved it and i have really fond memories and i've got some really really good strong friendships but hospitality is the least hospitable industry you know like oh, it's yeah. really it's really um it's wild you know uh, I actually wrote a game about that called uh, Out of the Effing Frying Pan. Um, just, <laughs> you're not meant to play that game. It's 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 for, for, for a games jam called Games Art. But um, 
more of a cathartic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd had a bad week at work, and I was like, just remember what you used to do, Stuart. And so I wrote that game as a reminder. Um, yeah, yeah. So cooking's been a, a part of my life, my whole life. In fact, uh, growing up with older older siblings, they when they were teenagers and I was just a little kid, they had to cook dinner once a week. And I was jealous that my big brothers got to cook dinner once a week. So mum sort of ah. taught me how to cook from a really young age because I was um, keen to, to be just like my big brothers. That's awesome, though. So, I mean, it's... I, I, I got to say, first off, uh, to anybody listening, like as much as I espouse like not uh, not loving working in a kitchen, mm-hmm. I will say it is a great place to learn skills very quickly. Oh, yeah. And it is also a great way like like you started as a dishwasher. I started basically as kind of a fry cook. I was lucky oh, yeah. that I wasn't starting in as a dishwasher. Mm. Um, they're basically the same, though. <laughs> like you put things in a liquid, in a yeah. hot liquid that will burn you. <laughs> and, that's, um, a, that's a good way to compare those two things. You stand right here and put things in the hot liquid. <laughs> oh, no, don't move. Don't move. Uh, don't move for eight hours. People will come from um, both directions and yell at you. Yeah. Yes. But I think that that it's a there's definitely a lot to be said that if you can stick with it, like don't look oh, down. Yeah. Oh no. Do not ever look down at your dishwashers and fry cooks. Like they save you. No, they're the, yeah. they're some of the most integral parts in the kitchen. So if you, mm-hmm. if you need a place to get started, like you want to become a chef, if you could prove your metal for like six months, even in, in the dish pit, there will be, cause dish dish people come and go like weekly and no call, mm-hmm. no show daily. And so like, if you last a couple months in the dish pit, people will want you as a cook. They'll be like, yeah. we need, we need help. And you actually work. So yeah, yeah that's right. And so a lot, you. a lot of the, the young uh, chefs that I worked with and the, the apprentices were, were all people that I washed dishes with at some point, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's, um, it's that progression. Cause you know, there's not always dishes to wash. Wash. So when when you're not washing dishes, they're like, okay, cool, come and help us do this. We need to prep this. We need to do that. And you just learn. Like I learned so much um, working in a kitchen. And and you're right. Like I like whilst I say I'm so happy I don't work in one. Um, it is it is great. And I and I, I you know I had a great time at the time. I don't think I could do it. I think I'd have to be like a a, a proper chef that worked very reasonable hours now maybe a cat- I, I could i might cater something oh yeah catering. i could probably do something like that yeah but <laughs> because it's hard and you know you have to that's it's, a, it's it is. much much like other careers you have to love it otherwise you're gonna you're gonna really hate it you know yeah so what is something that you have learned how to cook either in your time then or since uh that do you have like a an impressive like some new people coming over for a dinner party sort of thing or a, a lunch or dessert or a breakfast, wherever your, your forte is. Do you have kind of an impressive, like, I'm going to show them what's up dish? Um, yeah, it depends. Yes, I do. I think I've got some, I really, I really like making a, um, a simple yet very tasty, uh, bolognese sauce. Um, so I, that was the first thing I learned how to cook when I was a kid. And it has been something that I've always sort of cooked. Um, but then I also um, picked up ha- um, a lot of skills in Southeast Asian cooking. So I did quite a bit of traveling in Southeast Asia. And whenever I could, would do cooking classes there. Um, be- 
because I love Southeast Asian food, uh, particularly um, Indonesian, Thai, and Malaysian food. Um, so I do a very, very good uh, Indonesian curry, um, which is like a yellow looking curry because of the turmeric that's in it. Um, and also a quite a good green Thai, Thai green curry uh, from scratch. So using all um, fresh herbs, ground and making my own paste and stuff like that. So if I was going to show off a bit, I would probably do one of those, one of those three. I, uh, that is, that is something I should do more curries. I, I get stuck in these kind of loops mm. and I think that it's, I, I, I did a little bit of curry like in my twenties and then uh, for some reason never really went back to it. And I don't know why it's, I'd love it. It's curry's great. I just, for some reason, it always kind of skips over and the like, what are we going to plan for dinner this week? Like it mm. just, I lose that. So I, yeah, that's, that's, I thank you for the reminder there. I need to go brush up on, yeah, <laughs> on <yeah>. my skills. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not a delicate cook. So I, anything that's in a, pot with a lot of flavor is something that I'm good at. Um, I do try sometimes to be a bit more delicate, but I, I, I tend to not do that very well. Um, which is why curries and pastas and, um, big roasts and things like that. Um, are usually what, what I do. Yeah. I was definitely raised on a kind of dump, dump, dump Southern method style of cooking, which is just grab whatever and throw it in. Yeah. And so, yeah, delicacy came, was very difficult for me. I still not good at like baking and measuring things. Oh, I'm the very worst, much yeah. so just, My wife yeah. is a very, very good baker and I, and, he, and, yeah, and she can just like on the fly bake stuff. And I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, there's no way. I, I, I even more so am impressed by like the the great British bake off and stuff where they can yeah. bake without pre measuring. Like yeah. they they still measure, but they're still just making things up kind of as they go sometimes. And that's like no, that's how everything gets messed up. Like, how do you get even a remotely good bread out of this? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so um do you find yourself um bringing flavor into your creative endeavors do you bring any food focus on uh your role-playing sessions or is that more of kind of a part of your life that you're escaping from <laughs> no, uh, no no i include it i i, I um court of the cross keys is an adventure set in an inn and there is a, a character in that an npc that is a chef a goliath chef chef um, that is actually based off of a chef I used to work with, um, who was, who taught me a lot, but he was, he was like a junior Olympics hammer thrower. So he, he was really, wow. really big dude. Like he very much had, uh, a door style body, you know, like he was this huge guy <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he used to fly off the handle at really small things. Um, so I, I like, uh, yeah, one of the, the, the chef in that game, in that adventure is based off of that guy. Um, because he would, yeah, I just remember once he like, he'd gone into the, 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 the cool room and was, uh, checking to see what was, if everything was right. And you he just heard all this swearing and a huge 
yell and then a smash and i was like oh god and i like looked down the, the corridor and the door had flung open and there was a watermelon smashed all over the door <laughs> and he thrown his watermelon. he was so angry yeah uh anyway so so yes it does come into my adventures and like whenever we go uh whenever adventurers or anyone goes to a to a place um you know to eat I usually describe some sort of menu, um, and depending on where there are some where they are, sometimes it's like yeah, there's hard cheese and bread, and uh, what you think is a stew, you know, like just depending on where they are. Right. I think that it it, it really is, I, and I've had this discussion before with some other people that it's a, such an untapped resource. Uh, the potential archetypes of people that it, that exist as workers in a kitchen mm. are so I, I don't know if it's just the amount of stress or mm. the like the constant or the lack of sleep or the mm. uh, any number of unsavory things that a lot of cooks get into mm -hmm. um but there are always there's no shortage of incredibly unique and eclectic we'll say characters yeah. that and I I love mining those characters and experiences for other places in in TPR, TTRPGs because they're just I could not have made these people up. The fact that they exist yeah. is wild to begin with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's an excellent passage in uh, Anthony Bourdain's book Kitchen Confidential, which it's right right near the start, I think, and he describes this this crew of chefs that he worked with uh that as pirates you know like and, and you know this motley crew of pirates with bandanas and they swore a lot and drank too much and you know like and i was like that it just that that one page summarizes my my experience as a teenager with the first sort of group of chefs that i worked with you know um and very, i don't know very if, much so piratey <laughs> yeah i don't know if that changed because i became one of them or if the people changed but we'll see I, you know, I, I, for myself personally, there's a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. I think I'm a good, I'm probably a good pirate. I'm one of the guys that came out unscathed and, and didn't mm. get scurvy. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I made it, I made it through to the other side and then got off on the dock and said, I'm never going back on that ship. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Our kitchens. <laughs> there's a. There's a lot of things that that probably better left unsaid about kitchens. They're they're a good life experience. They yeah. build character. <laughs> Do it while young. It's uh, it's good. Yes, yes. It it get your get your dwarven your dwarven drinks and your Goliath screams out in your early years, and mm. then progress. Learn learn how to cook though. Like yeah. it will teach you very quickly. You will learn very quickly. Yeah, just, and, and even just things like how to use a knife properly and safely, and how to how to cut a piece of meat, or how to how to dice vegetables, or how long to mm -hmm. cook things, or or the fact that you can make stuff out of anything. You know, like yes. Um, I, so my my state's just gone into lockdown for a week, so we're at home this week um and i didn't want to go to the shops so we were like i'm like well i'm just gonna see what we can make and so for the last couple of days we sort of made whatever we could based off of the bits and pieces we had laying around 
I uh, recently learned how to make, uh, I guess they're called ash cakes, or um, I don't know if they have another name somewhere else, but they're they're a really simple bread that you'd go for camping with. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, you just, because you only need to cook them on like white ash. Yeah. Uh, but I see. it... It's uh, it was like just I use like two tablespoons of coconut flour, a tablespoon of almond flour and a tablespoon of coconut flour and then a drizzle of water flattened into a, a thin like kneaded into a bread flattened into about a size of a cookie and mm. then fried in duck fat. Oh, wow. And I mean, the duck fat helps a lot, oh, but yeah. it was still like the, the almond flour turned it into this, it, it was somewhere in between a bread and a cookie. Mm. So the, the almond flour gives it kind of a pecan sandy sort of mm. flavor. It's very nutty flavor, but then having some of the flour develop from the, just the regular all purpose flour, give it a, a gluten kind of in there. And then the duck frat means it's like crunchy on the outside, but kind of soft, like a cookie mm. in the middle. And it was the most is very filling kind of heavy, you know, protein. There's a lot of almond flour, so plenty of protein in there. Really good for camping. And I was like, this is something that I can just always throw together. Yeah, I always have the few things like some kind of fat, a little bit of flour, a little bit of water. I don't need any rising agents or anything like that. Just always throw it together. And it's like, I'm I'm keeping this one in the back pocket for things like lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's cool. I I haven't heard of those before sounds good yeah there was i i get into like like i love thinking about ways to make camping more i don't know tasty because there's there's a lot of the like frozen or not frozen but like the freeze-dried chili mac and chili kind of is the only or like an mre which is terrible uh but finding ways to bring ingredients camping that aren't going to go bad or maybe like pre-measured or ways that i can use like what can I do with packets of soy sauce? Like the extra packets that you get from the Chinese restaurant. Like, can I take four of those and somehow make a teriyaki on the other side? Like, what (laughs) do I need in the smallest volumes to make something that I can go camping with and and enjoy? Yeah. Yeah. We, we keep all of that stuff. Uh, We've got like a little section in our fridge that's filled with random sources. Mm -hmm. We, we I try did, to use them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we did the like I don't know if they have have it in the states, but like Hello, Hello Fresh or uh, it's like a delivery service. Mm, that yeah, yeah. Food. The delivery yeah. food. Yeah. yeah, we got those. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, there's always there's always just random bits left over. So we made something out of all those random bits um, not long ago, but we still have a fair amount of you know. There's always more. Yeah. There's always like, there's always a Taco Bell sauce that you don't trust because <laughs> when was the last time anyone here ever went to Taco Bell? Yeah, but we're not throwing it out. <laughs> we're staying here. No, no, it stays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, well, Stuart, uh, whether it is uh, your podcasts, your writing, um, or just any of your experiences in general, I always love to give the the last few minutes of the show the floor over to the guest. So if there's any shout outs you would want to make or any stories that you did not get to tell on the podcast, please, this floor is yours. Share them with us. Uh, okay. Um, I would like... I would encourage everyone who has thought about writing to write. Um, I so in the email you sent, there was you know something you'd like people to know about you, and I thought a lot about those things. Um, and one of the things that 
so I, I failed high school in you know as a teenager i didn't do very well at high school i was too busy doing every other possible thing um so as a you know in my 20s i decided that you know i'm probably not going to work in kitchens forever and started working towards going to university and, and all those sorts of things which actually took a lot longer and harder because i didn't do anything <laughs> in high school but uh if you are if you want to write things or create things just start doing it um because it's great and you feel good even if no one even if 10 people look at the thing you've created uh it still feels good to get it down and then you can just share it with your nearest and dearest too um and on that speaking of sharing it with my nearest and dearest you can check out all my stuff uh on my website stuartwatkinson.com uh and i'm on twitter a lot uh at stuart writes um and i'm also on instagram a bit not as much, but um, I have an Instagram account at swatkinson.rpg. Um, yeah, play games, lots of games. Yeah, I uh, I hundred percent agree to the if you even even remotely interested in writing, just start writing. Just mm. put some random words down, and like it doesn't have to be a full st- bullet points. So become sentences that become paragraphs that become mm-hmm. you know novels. So yeah, that's right. And and just and that's anything any passion that you've considered having just try it just jump in and and give it a go because this is not the most well-known podcast in the universe that may come as a surprise to some um but i i love doing it and i i you know if i was worried about listener counts or patreon or whatever then you know it i don't let that take over it's it's not something to stress over. It's something to enjoy. And mm. if one or two people come out of this, whether it be a, a guest that enjoys their time or somebody that listens that, you know, gets to run their game a little bit differently or has a new Goliath chef that they want to throw watermelons <laughs> against walls with, then like, then that's awesome. Then I think that that is a, that's a great, and I'm really excited that that gets to happen. So yeah. Stuart, thank you so very much for coming onto the show and uh, we'll catch you around. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at and dinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or you want to hear the entire back catalog of bonus exclusive episodes like today's mini-sode with Stuart, where he comes back and we talk about Peruvian food, hiking through Machu Picchu, and the most expensive baby carrot. Um, Or if you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, then consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast. It's called Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.